Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me for another one of these uh, Book of Mormon uh, Kabbalah series. Today, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the Book of Genesis. We're going to talk about the story of creation. The Book of Genesis by the Kabbalists has been adapted in many different ways. Kabbalah today uses its Hebrew script in the first book of the Torah to extrapolate stories from the Bible. I heard of two methods that are more. There are the grammatical method, which uses the grammar of the Torah to postulate an additional meaning to the book. And another method is to the use of keys, uh, where uh, we will extrapolate the more meaning based on one letter having a particular meaning, and then it kind of reflects each other. Um, thank you for joining me, and let's go. Okay, so let's begin by exploring the book of Genesis, not from a Hebrew point of view, because uh, this, will be a, uh, this will be a little bit out of the scope, out of this uh, podcast series, but let's explore it from a verse view. Uh, let me see. Let me, let me give you an example. According to the book of Genesis, the world was created in seven days and seven nights. Well, according to science, uh, this is impossible. The formation of the world or the olam or the universe could have not been possible, could not have taken 168 hours. But if we look at the Kabbalistic book of the Sefer Yetzirah, the Jewish book of formation, we might be able to extrapolate what is it that the book of Genesis is trying to tell us. In the Sefer Yetzirah, it claims that all creation goes through a process uh, known as the Tree of Life. Now, this is on a, if you research Kabbalah in, uh, in, in, in any browser, you'll be able to find the, the Tree of Life uh, diagram. But we have to remember that that diagram is only an ideal uh, form of the Tree of Life. It is not a realistic form of the Tree of Life. It always ebbs and flows. Uh, okay, so the Sefer Yisra claims that creation um, goes through that process, okay? And it is starts within the hidden confines of the eye of God, God, the Ayin. Then it moves through the veil of the eye, the Ayin Sof, and then it moves to the light and it emanates from it, that emanates, emanates from its veil. Uh, from these we have the unconceivable realm of formation. It arrives to the Ayin Sof Aur. Uh, then it arrives onto the tree of life. Now, before we get to the tree of life, let's, a little, let's uh, get a little terminology. The tree of life is formed of the sephiroth, which are kind of like spheres, and then the paths. Now, the word sephiroth, I would like to think that it translates to enumeration. The reason why is because that word enumeration happens a lot in the Bible, and it happens a lot in the Sahar and other uh, Kabbalistic books. And it seems to relate to a type of order, a type of balance. And therefore, I think that the word Sephiroth means enumeration. Um, but enumeration of what? Well, at this point, the existence, just coming out or from the nebulous non-existence, Uh, is subjected to the sway of the pillars of mercy and severity of the tree of life. Uh, anything within the tree needs to be categorized to be able to manifest into this reality, 
and this also needs to hold its uh, its merciful essence to be able to survive. The first Sephiroth that it touches is the Sephiroth of Keter. This is a Sephiroth of its first conception. It's, it's only aware of itself, but it's not aware of, of, of what it looks like or where it is. This is where I think things get a little bit Buddhist. Uh, <clears throat> the second Sephiroth that it touches is the Sephiroth of Hokmah. Hokmah is the stage where it becomes aware of where it is and what it could be. Uh, that happens a lot to us when we, when we wake up, um, when we basically awake in our beds, we are also realize, oh, that's who we are. <laughs> I'm back, and this is. And then the next Sephiroth that it touches is Bina. This is the place of where it is, wherever it is, has become aware of the space where it is located. Once again, when we wake up, we go through a very similar process. We realize, oh, that's us, and then we realize, oh, this is the bed that I slept in. Uh, this is considered the, the, the Kabbalistic Holy Triad. It is almost unconceivable because it lacks memory. It, 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 it is just uh, what it is. It cannot be really quite defined or measured. Now, this is where things become a little bit more <clears throat> Genesis in the next spheres. The next seven Sephiroth or enumerations are the planetary Sephiroths. In fact, our days of the week derive their names from these planets. Sunday stands for Sun, Monday stands for Moon, Tuesday stands for Mars, Wednesday starts for Mercury, Thursday starts for Jupiter, Friday for Venus, Saturday for Saturn. These were the observable planets around that time without the use of, of telescopes. <clears throat> and these planets were not only represented, represented as celestial objects, but were also a series of mythological and astrological, astronomical attributes. It marked time, it marked different things. Uh, they represent a series of cycles that today we have proven to affect certain plants, like uh, they did with their chemical works. If you would like to f find further reading on that, there's a great book called The Jewish Alchemist by uh, Raphael Patai. Uh, the planets, <clears throat> going back, it, uh, are not just inanimate floating, floating objects in the sky. They were a way to measure time, as I said, uh, as it was in the planet Venus. There were some Venus calendars uh, during, during the time of Egypt, <clears throat> even in the New World. Uh, the, the the period of Montalban it was dedicated to track the movements of the moon as a way to create a calendar out of it. Uh, they were a way to assign angels, believe it or not, to, to their everyday lives. This is in the in the literature. The Jews uh, of old did magic, and these magic usually included angels. Uh, it may be hard for Jews or even Christians to believe that people in the Bible did magic, but the archaeology and the scriptures are very clear on how magic was such a very important part of their lives. <clears throat> a lot of the a lot of the uh, the writers, or maybe the, the the leaders of the community, wanted to eradicate eradicate magic, but it was such a pervasive culture that it was just hard to, um, to, to, to basically extrapolate from, from the community. Saul himself, he went to a woman called the Balaal uh, that, that communed, uh, you know, he wanted to find out some answers about his battle, and he, this woman communed with the dead to extract information about the future. Uh, this is a biblical, very famous biblical story about how magic was an important part of, 
of, of the Jewish community and how they form part of their, of their traditions, uh, which, believe it or not, it actually goes also towards Jesus. I mean, it's Jesus. If we were not to assume for a second that he was not the Messiah, uh, Jesus was able to exorcise people. He was able to talk with the dead. He was able to raise the dead. And so, therefore, <clears throat> this tradition of the Balaat uh, seems to be a very important part of Jewish tradition. Uh, <clears throat> so let's go back to the, to the, to the seven days of creation. Uh, these seven days were an, an allegory for the seven steps of creation within the Tree of Life. Uh, in the first day, God divides the light from the darkness. This seems to be a division from the Sephiroth of, between Jupiter and Mars. So Chesed and Din, uh, which were related from the last episode as numerations of mercy and justice, light being mercy and severity mean justice. So it even kind of gives you clues within the Bible of which part of the tree of life um, is, is he really talking about. Uh, the second day, God separated the waters and created the firmament. Between the upper triad and the line of Hasad and Din, there's a realm in between called the Perochet. Uh, this is, uh, and so these might have been the waters. They're not really talking about like waters, waters, but they're talking about kind of like kind of, kind of an, an archetype type of um, concept. But we have to understand also that these concepts seem to replicate within an intelligence, and that intelligence manifests itself physically. So it could also mean an archetype type of separation, but that archetype separation may have manifested into the real waters of the ocean and the real land of the, <clears throat> of the earth. <clears throat> On the third day, God created the, God created the earth, which is represented uh, by the bottom sphere, which is called Malchut. Now, we can talk a lot about this particular sphere because it's divided into four sections, and there are many different stories for this uh, particular sphere. Uh, <clears throat> but let, for the sake of simplicity, oh, for, for this episode, they just say that the, on the third day, uh, God created the, or manifested Malchut, the, the, the land of Malchut as the earth. On the fourth day, God created the day and the night. The light represented by the solar sphere of Tifereth, and the night is represented by the lunar sphere of Yesod. And these right there just completes the, the middle pillar of the earthly creation. The middle pillar is referring to the tree of life. Or as, in, and as we said in the last uh, episode, uh, the iron rod. On the fifth and the sixth day, life and plants were, were made, which corresponds to the Sephiroth of Venus and Venus and Mercury. That would be uh, Netzach and Hod. On the last day, everything is returned <clears throat> endowed by the darkness of Saturn, which is the day of rest, Saturday. Uh, now, this is one way to find farther meaning into the passage of the Torah. Another example is by using the Kabbalistic definitions of the Hebrew letters. For example, in the case, um, the in, in the first word of the Torah, which is uh, Bereshit, is uh, composed of Beth, Resh, Shin, and Tov. Beth uh, can represent an archetype of the that it is established uh, within an archetype. There is a foundation within that intelligence. 
Resh represents a statement um, written in the stars of, of, of assignment, of establishment, as if uh, this was written in the stars. Uh, Shin means moving through the ages, moving through the heavens, moving with fire, uh, like a creative type of fire. Tough means a means a perceivable in the heavens. It means uh, est established in the heavens. So these are very nebulous definitions. Uh, but these shortened definitions are, are, are very vague and hard to place together. And they're also not definitive. And that is done on purpose. Because the, the Jewish tradition of Kabbalah have a tradition of, I don't want to tell the, the secrets, but if I don't tell the secrets, how am I going to be able to pass them to the next student? And so by making the definitions nebulous, it is a way for them to be able to pass on the knowledge without really telling somebody the knowledge. And so this is another tradition of, um, of Jewish um, decryption. And so every person must formulate their own interpretation of the letters and put them together into sentences. Now, this is mine. I am not a Kabbalist. I, I try to be, but I'm not. Uh, and, and therefore, this is my interpretation. It says, uh, the concept of life was established in the establishment of the heavens. And it moved and it burned in the realms of the heavens until it was perceivable in the heavens. The, and, and so this is my interpretation of the first word of the Torah. So if we were to assume that each letter has a particular definition, that it moves within the permutation of the combination of letters, uh, another book presents itself. And it just the story that I have been able to extrapolate from the book of Genesis, it is very different from the what is written in the book. In fact, it turns very intelligence, very intelligence-wise. It turns very cosmic. It makes a lot more sense as far as science is concerned. It, it just becomes way more palpable. Uh, there's a lot less blame on Eve. In fact, Eve turns into a more primary role of creation. Uh, it just turns into a more, more beautiful book, in my opinion, and that is just one way for us to be able to extrapolate these type of stories. Uh, there are other types of stories. There's one that works with grammar. I'm not very familiar with that one, where the et becomes a directive um, type of word, and so therefore the words start to kind of like take into more of a dynamic type of role. I'm not very familiar with that type of Kabbalah, but I know a lot of people in Jerusalem are. Um, so, 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 some, some. Okay, so let's summarize all of this. So, some people may judge me that I'm wrong because I tried to find further meaning within the Hebrew of the scriptures. Uh, but I find my translation and transliterations of great beauty and meaning. And as long as I don't break any commandments, I think that I'm doing fine. Um, so that is um, my, my my this episode on. Um, how do I think Bala marries with, with, with the story of creation, which is uh, one of the main themes within Mormon theology. And uh, I hope this has been useful to you. And thank you very much for listening and have a great one. Bye-bye.